0: Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Shirinda and I am going to be your guardian of the law for the evening. Right at the heart of Bramfontein, I'm bringing you the best of legal arguments straight to your ear. This is your point of legal information and this evening we're going to be discussing debt counselling. We'll be speaking to um, those who are in this particular space like the National Credit Regulator uh, which is mandated by the National Credit Act. We'll be unpacking that legislation as well. We'll be also speaking to the National Savings Institute. This particular uh, show is aimed at giving more financial knowledge than it is at looking at uh, the legal finances. Uh, This evening is fun packed with an understanding on what finances are about the, the therapeutic understanding of it, uh, the psychology of the, of the consumer. We're also going to be looking at those who are in the minimum wage bracket as I understand that that is particularly one of the most challenging spaces to inhabit in this country. Uh, Primarily law-focused listener an understanding that which is being driven home by the show this evening is an understanding on what savings are about uh, an understanding on what the law uh, prohibits and what the law allows. I think primarily it's an understanding that one needs to understand that before you borrow any money uh, borrow money from whoever who is certified by the National Credit Regulator Secondly, it's understanding that uh, one needs to live within their means. And I understand that it sounds like quite layman's um, um, knowledge, but at the end of the day, it's what governs the world and it's what has become difficult for us to understand for many years. Uh, Law Focus listener, please stay tuned. But before we get into that, we're going to get into our legal hotspots for the evening.
1: Rounding up all, all the top all stories, stories of the week Legal Hotspots.
0: Welcome back to Law Focus uh, For the Legal Hotspots, we're actually looking at three stories. The first story is about death tolls in the case at N-Taxi shooting, which have blew the country in storm. The second story is about bills. We're looking at two bills. Uh, the first, first bill that we're looking at is the competition law bill. The second one we're looking at is the restitution of land rights amendment bill. And we, the third story is how the court has actually put an end to much schools. Quite a victory there for equal education. Uh, the first story is looking at how, sure. So there was a taxi shooting in KZN, um, whereby on Saturday nights, uh, near Trollentso uh, in Kozulu-Natal, um, and 12 people have actually been shot dead. So what happened is that 255 bullets were actually shot in, onto um, an, a taxi um, which was carrying taxi drivers uh, coming from a funeral for a taxi boss. And that taxi boss was among three people who were gunned down in Tembisa in Gauteng last week. So also on Monday, another taxi boss was shot and killed in, in Alexandra Johannesburg. And and nothing was taken from this guy. And the police say the motive for the killing is also totally unclear. Particularly, the National Commissioner, Kessler Stolle, has said that it's too early to have established a motive for the mass killing. Um... It is understood that actually this is one of the depo- one of other deposits uh, into death tolls um, in taxi shootings or taxi wars. Uh, and again, earlier in July, in Alexandra, Renberg, Midrand and Senten uh, Taxi Association, Amster called for calm after its chairperson and his driver were gunned down with the chairperson, killed. So clearly there has been a death toll in the country. Um, these taxi wars have grown to that particular point and it has become totally... Uh, terrible for people's lives. I understand that this has induced quite a lot of fear um, and we we hope to see investigations into this matter and hopefully those who are committing these crimes brought to book. The second story is looking at a competition bill. Um, so this bill is actually amending the Competition Act and it's bringing teeth, to, teeth for the competition authorities to actually tackle cartels and monopolies. So Economic Development Minister Ibrahim Patel says that the Competition Amendment Bill will, keep, will equip competition authorities with the tools to probe anti-competitive behavior by cartels and monopolies in the economy. So uh, he briefed journalists in the Imbizo M- Center in Parliament, Cape Town, on Tuesday. He said that the bill which was presented to Parliament on the same day was drafted last year following concerns that anti-competitive behavior have, has increased and, and, and its increase has actually made it difficult for smaller players to penetrate the economy, as is always the case. Uh, he said that while the main focus of the bill was to ensure economic transformation, it also seeks to address several big areas that affect competition. This includes prohibited practices like collusion and abuse of dominance by a firm, the structure of markets, which looks at economic concentration and its impact on small and black-owned businesses and majors. Now, I understand that the transformation is quite an important principle in post-democratic society and also how the, these, these anti-competitive behaviours have to really, really be combated and the law has to be tightened. Um, we, he says that we believe that the amendments taken as a package will boost uh, small and medium enterprises and economic inclusion, opening up the economy to fresh investment and evolution. Um, we 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 are hoping to see how this is going to play out um, in the event of of this development. Uh, that bill is has been is before cabinet uh, has has been before cabinet since 2017, and therefore we are hoping that by this time it will be passed uh, with agreement uh, between stakeholders. The second bill that we're looking at is. Provincial public hearings on the Restitution of Land Rights Amendment Bill are complete, therefore meaning that the land, uh, Restitution of Land Rights Amendment Bill can go all the way to tabling. The public hearings on the Restitution of Land Rights Amendment Bill are completed in all provinces by the portfolio community on rural development and land reform. So, Thousands of people attended the public hearings to voice their opinion on the bill and to give their input on how the bill can work for them. Many are in support of reopening land claims, and a lot of people have actually requested the committee to ensure that land claims are submitted previously are settled first. Very important. Um, Some are also proposing that permanent judges be appointed to preside over land claims, and others have appealed to the committee to intervene and investigate allegations of fraud and corruption within the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform. So the whip of the Rural Development and Land Reform Committee and, and initiator of the private members' bill, Pumzile Mguni, has said that uh, they will not rest until the job is done, uh, that they have been instructed by the Constitutional Court to conduct widespread public hearings into the decision of land rights amendment bill, and have done just that, going to all nine provinces in the country. Uh, therefore, this land bill is actually going to open up a lot of doors in, in that understanding. The community has also made further deliberation on the inputs received and will meet all other relevant stakeholders such as academia, non-governmental organizations and other interested parties to further enhance this process. Uh, this will be uh, one of probably the best bills that we've ever had uh, in re- with regard to the of land. And I'd like to see how it plays out should it go for tabling. The final story that we're looking at is how the court has actually ordered uh, that much schools have to be removed as a constitutional requirement. Now, it will be remembered that Section 29, Subsection 1, Paragraph A, actually makes the right to education an unqualified right, meaning that all... um, Infrastructure and equipment that which is needed to ensure the right to, to education is being accessed by a student should be provided by two students. And if they are not provided to students, then that in and of itself is automati- automatically a violation of that particular right. Now, because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a qualified right, meaning that it does not it does not work subject to certain other conditions. It it goes straight to the point. That right has to be given to students regardless of budget constraints. Now. That means that anyone can take the the court can take uh, can take the department to court in the event that they think the right is violated. And equal education has actually done so, um, and it has taken the matter to Bisho High Court, uh, which has found that the government's norms and standards regulations for schools are unconstitutional. The court has actually ordered that schools substantially built from mud as well as asbestos, wood, or metal have to be replaced with buildings that meet the national building regulations. Right. This judgment in the Bisho High Court has been laid down on Thursdays um, and theref- therefore following this judgment, all of these schools will have to be fixed. Now, Judge Bantubonke uh, read, Tokota read in the judgment written by Acting Judge Norma Wabum Sizi in court on Thursday morning. The case was brought by Social Movement Equal Education against Minister of Education N.J. Uh, it was heard in March. The court also awarded costs to equal education. Um and I understand that this order has actually ordered uh, um, uh, the department to, to 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 actually renovate these schools um, to a certain subject to a certain uh, um, time. But the the court order actually said that where the regulations relating to minimum uniform norms and standards for public school infrastructure 2013 have referred to schools built entirely out of mud, wood, asbestos, or or zinc. The wedding must be replaced with schools built entirely or substantially out of these materials. The court also found that the regulations compel government to provide water, power and sanitation in schools. Plans and and reports on progress towards schools meeting norms and standards must also be made available to the public. Now I understand that also, uh, far more importantly, is how the court has interpreted this particular right, section 29, uh, subsection 1, paragraph A. It has interpreted the right to mean that anything, should it be a pencil, should it be a book, should it be anything that will enable a student to be in class. Anything that will eliminate absenteeism of the student will fall within the ambit of section 29, uh, subsection 1, paragraph A. Now, in one of our interviews here on Law Focus, when we were doing the show on Right to Education, we've actually asked, uh, asked very strong questions to the director there of Equal Education, uh, Ms. Karabo Oza. And one of the substantial questions we've asked is, is it an issue... That in interpreting Section 29, Subsection 1, Paragraph A, the courts have actually looked more on the side of judicial review, saying that well, these are the these are the standards, these are the norms that you've uh, you've had to follow, and because you didn't follow them, therefore go back to the drawing board. Now, isn't that a question of the rule of law? Now, in this particular case, Equal Education is taking it further, further than just the rule of law, further than just judicial review, and saying that well, this in itself substantially is violating Section 29, Subsection 1, Paragraph A, and perhaps so are all other socio-economic rights in the. Constitution. Now, perhaps somebody somebody can also uh, interpret that, that that particular right to edu- basic education uh, in conjunction with Section 28, which is the right to. Uh, to- to children, taking children as, as of paramountcy in connection with all other socio-economic rights or that those two rights can be interpreted as a window to all other rights, including civil and political rights that which are provided in the constitution itself. Now, understanding that with all attendant legislation like the Children's Act, the norms and standards uh, that, that I've, I've noted so far, one will understand why it's imperative to provide a child in basic education with all of this infrastructure and all of this assistance, including buses, for scholar transport, uh, including um, textbooks, making sure that every student has a book to study with at home in the event that they're sick or they're not. And in providing inclusion as well for, for disabled students and also uh, far more importantly, making sure that teenage students are protected and uh, are well uh, supported in their endeavor in class. Now, that is an understanding that we have, but that this case is actually a victory in the sense that they are no longer going, there's no longer going to be infrastructure that which is not to the standard of the country in any school. Therefore, meaning that every student is also entitled to have a cornering class um, on a lighter note. Uh, but anyway, those are the legal hotspots uh, for the evening. You're still listening to Law Focus.
1: Rounding up all, all the top all stories, all of the week, stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Hot law focus handing you your rights
0: welcome back to law focus and you're still sitting with me basil and we're going to be uh, uh talking to mr morris maloleke who is a supervisor of debt counseling at the national credit regulator i mean we we've been discussing the ncr we are discussing uh we've been right now we've been speaking to a savings institute and we uh, have been talking about how to save we're looking at how to counsel those who, who commit into debt but in general, we are talking money. It's July and it's the month of money. Um, on the line, I have Mr. Morris uh, Maloleke. Uh, Mr. Maloleke, welcome to the show. Uh,
1: thank you, uh, Mr. Shalinda, and uh, good afternoon to the uh,
0: Voice of its uh, listeners. Thank you. Uh, we, we, you as, as I said, you find us at the heart of discussing the National Credit Regulation. Can mm-hmm. you please, um, in short, explain to us what the body actually does?
1: Okay, uh, thank you again. And um, the role of the national credit regulator is to regulate the credit industry. Uh, we register the credit providers, debt counselors, payment screening agencies, credit bureaus, and alternative district resolution agents, and just to ensure that they all comply in terms of the act and the regulations.
0: Okay, and and so in terms of le- legislation, how is that first dealt with? So, in the event that someone owes maybe a retail store. Okay. What are the what are the processes that have to be followed in order to give proper notice of that debt?
1: Okay, as you are aware, that uh, there's a lack of education in terms of financial management, yes. and uh, most consumers do not are not aware of their rights uh, when it comes to signing credit agreements when they go under debt review, as as, as an example and and um, what we try to do is in the event that a uh, consumer is not aware of what they are charged or maybe they were they were not given a copy of a contract and when they shall sign the con uh, the, the agreement they can usually contact us in the event that they they can't get that copy of a contract from the credit provider or maybe failure to disclose the total cost of credit which includes interest and um, uh, service uh, service fee initiation fee and other costs that should be disclosed on the contract. So what the consumer has to do is to actually contact us in the event of a complaint or contact us or maybe go to our website and maybe send an email through to our complaints department. And now um, the challenge is it's, it's only when the consumer either they've actually... Agreed verbally, and what's on the contract is different from what was actually agreed upon. So those are some things that we actually deal with. Uh, most, uh, uh, most specifically, with regards to the agreed agreements, like I've indicated, other 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 entities that we regulate that are actually
0: our registrants. Any
1: complaint against them, will actually assist in that regard.
0: Mm. And I mean, so with 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 this in, information and educating, how far do you go? Do you go to the very heart of uh, the poverty of the society? Okay. Um, Look, like I said, anything that has to do with with where the consumer has actually
1: signed the contract, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Previously, before the Act was amended, um, Mm -hmm. those that could only register the threshold was either 100 credit agreements or the loan book to the value of 500,000. Now, since the, the threshold have been taken away, anybody who grant credit, whether it's, uh, it's short-hand or long-hand, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your uncle, anyone that grant credit uh, uh, have to actually make sure that they register with us. So. Um, uh, gone are the days where it will be a matter of the fact that I have less than 100 credit agreements and my loan book is is, is less than uh, 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 500,000, therefore I'm not obliged to, to, to actually to register. Um, we are aware of the fact that um, our people are being abused left and right by, by unscrupulous uh, credit providers. It doesn't mean that when you are registered, you automatically comply. We still have to actually make sure that all our registrants, they comply in terms of the act.
0: Mm, and that that would mean that you'd have to inf- enforce For that, that yeah. Uh, constantly. Yeah. So what we do
1: is we either, uh, if we receive complaints from consumers, and uh, some of them are just proactive, some of them are reactive. You know, we 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 can either decide to to target a certain area where there is a, a there's a common and un, unethical practice or abuse. Of 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 consumers in any form, with regards to the credit agreement that they might, they might have signed. So where we don't actually even make an announcement, we just actually rock in. I think you must have heard about some of the raids that we have done in, in certain areas where there's a prevalence of mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a abuse, where uh, there's rotation of cards, Sasa cards, IDs. In that in that in that fashion, we normally don't even even. Um, make an announcement, but yeah. there are those that will literally do a normal compliance where we'll make an appointment to, to come and check us to. Whether uh, you comply in terms of the act, we look at your trade agreements, what you charge, and, and whether you disclose all the charges and whether you give your your your, your consumers um, uh, 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 statements and contracts.
0: But then Malik, let, let's contextualize the, the conversation okay. now. Sure. In okay. the event that somebody owes maybe a retail store and their debt is handed over to attorneys, Mm-hmm. And those attorneys call this um, this person who owes them
2: mm-hmm.
0: And this person explains that actually I've been unemployed for the past uh, Perhaps two or three months and that's why I have not been able to pay mm-hmm. uh, That particular store, that mm-hmm. particular retail store
2: mm-hmm.
0: And these particular attorneys keep on calling um what, and what does what does the T do in that regard now? Okay. I, I think I think I think we need to encourage much as we talk about uh, uh,
1: uh, respons- responsible lending, we need to talk about responsible borrowing. And uh, is the duty of a consumer to inform the credit provider that they are either retranged or they've been dismissed. Obviously with somebody has been retrenched, there's a difference between the two, dismissal and retrenched. With mm. retrenched, yes, uh, you'll get to whatever that's due to you in terms of your patient. And uh, same applies to that. But um, uh, uh, with them, even in most cases, when some, I uh, will uh, say a, a, a big uh, chunk or percentage of credit providers in the agreement will always be the cover, which you can then uh, use to actually uh, pay off your debt. But in the event that, let's say maybe you, you are retained, you have to notify your credit provider, anybody that you owe, they can either give you time to, to uh, come with uh, an agreement that you pay uh, uh, less than what you're supposed to pay. Or alternatively, they'll give you an opportunity, they'll freeze your account, give you an opportunity, maybe to get to find another job. But in the event that you keep quiet, they do not know what's happening. But mm-hmm. if you, if hence they will actually keep on calling you to to actually uh, want to make sure that you, 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 you pay what's owed to them. So in that case, If you had to send them a letter to say, you know, I've been retrenched, I'm still looking for a job. Please freeze my account so that interest doesn't actually uh, 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 increase. Increase, yeah. Yeah. And in the event that where somebody is obviously dismissed for whatever reason, uh, even if there's a cover, you, you won't be able to use that cover because... Like I've given you the difference between the two, so it's important that as a consumer, make sure that when you are anything, if if it is due to your your job, you lose your job or for whatever reason, communicate with your with your with your credit provider so that they put that on record. Mm. And maybe you can actually, there are times whereby if if it's hopeless that you can find a job and they can they don't have means to recover it, they can normally maybe write it off. Like, you can't demand a payment from an 80-year-old or 70-year-old where there's no hope that they will find a job. You know?
0: mm. mm-hmm. And I mean, so what would your advice be to the majority of South Africans who fall into the category of the minimum wage, who go out and per, perhaps get um, bite-loads at buying power of plus minus? Credit. Look, and you know what, I, I can't say to them uh, stay away
1: from debts or maybe avoid uh, uh, taking credit, you know. Mm. Uh, at times some, some people are actually under pressure and they are pressed to actually uh, apply for credit and of which they qualify for. But it's, it's by all means one need to, to try and live within their means and, and try to, to, to save as little as you possibly can. Look, I know um, to someone else it might sound very much uh, impossible or maybe uh, practically impossible, but what you can only always encourage is uh, only borrow when there's there's there, there, when when there's a need to actually do so. Do not borrow to go and buy a TV. If it's about paying your 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 university fees, it's it's it's, it's understandable. It's about paying your rent it's understandable. But always try to live within your means. Make sure that you do your own affordability okay, you can actually uh, go and borrow money. And half the time, you'll find that a person has five accounts, and if you look at those accounts, uh, uh, collectively they pay maybe two thousand every month. And the question is, even if they didn't have those accounts, will they still pay two thousand on monthly basis? Will they still spend money on, on, on buying those on monthly basis? Hence I'm saying sometimes buying cash is is is, is better or where possible, avoid incurring debts from time to time. Rather have maybe one, one account to make sure that the one that you know that you you can actually afford.
0: You know, for for the comfortable, the statement that you just made can actually ring the greatest of bells. But mm-hmm. for those in the minimum wage, it gets problematic, mm-hmm. Mr. You yeah.
1: know, I, I fully agree with you. And In my opening statement, I said, you know what, sometimes it's easier said than done, you know, yeah. uh, uh, because people face different challenges. Look, our sisters who are single parents, sometimes what they earn cannot actually uh, satisfy their uh, daily or monthly uh, 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 obligations. And the, the as I'm saying, uh, as much as sometimes we encourage people to devise means of trying to make extra cash in a legal way, maybe selling something, um, you know, um, I know it's, it's it's not something easy that uh, a lot of people can actually be able to do. But like I said, in most cases, you'll find that the low, com- low income earners, uh, a lot of them have more loans. And when you look at their income versus what they have to pay back. And remember, um, some of these unscrupulous credit providers, they don't do credit check to see if you can afford. They don't do affordability assessment. And you find that some of them, they even never qualified for that loan but if 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 all credit providers were able to speak to to the requirements or uh, to the requirements in terms of the act some of these problems could be minimized like uh, like as i've given an example we have we have we have uh, uh your credit rules we have the affordability assessment uh, regulation uh, tool that they can actually use to make sure that whatever they actually give out is something that the consumer can actually afford
0: to, to go at the heart of the of the conversation Mm-hmm. What do you think can develop that kind of discipline that can assist someone to take that responsibly um, okay. so that they don't find themselves in, in that harsh waters? Um,
1: you know, we have different categories of, of, of consumers, you know, mm. those that uh, 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 are educated and those that lack uh, education. And and But it boils back to the fact that uh, the impact of, 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 of the situation impacts on both Educated and uneducated, semi-educated, and um, I still believe that um, we should do a lot in terms of educating consumers. There's no other remedy, you know. And um, look, our role is N- NCR, we do have an education department. Uh, it's unfortunate that we only have one office, but we try our best to make sure that we educate consumers uh, on print media, audio. We try by, by all means to make sure that we, we give them advice in terms of, uh, that's why we have different campaigns. Some will talk about how to borrow responsibility. So, responsibly, some will talk about uh, uh, savings. And um, it's up to the consumers to to make sure that they listen but like you said in the beginning that sometimes the situation will actually uh, press you to an extent that even if you know the consequences of what you do, you still want to actually you still need, need credit we all need credit and and especially with single parents especially with with parents with more than with with with, with more than what you could, they can actually be able to afford so my I, I still believe education is the way to go and my wish was even if you have to study from university level you know Uh, financial management skills so that people get to understand that first thing that you need to do uh, when you get into the employment space, employment world, is to try and save. And not not to say you shouldn't buy on credit, but try to avoid having something, having everything on credit. Your credit card, your car, your your overdraft, and your home loans. Some of them, you'll find that they have more than five credit cards. Mm. And forgetting that it's not their money. You know and 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 they will exhaust it come month end to have to pay them it thrashes them to an extent that uh, they end up not affording to pay them and and judgment is taken against them and it messes up your credit profile mm. when you go when you have to want to buy to to, to maybe to to do to, to a secured loan for instance a home loan your name is actually uh, is actually blacklisted for only the reason that you fail to pay a loan which which we didn't actually need maybe at that time. Hence, I'm saying we need to actually try to speak to what we can actually afford. You know, and uh, and, and it's unfortunate that when you look at, at our credit uh, bureau monitor, uh, the credit active consumers in South Africa, the numbers are actually increasing. So is the numbers of consumers with impaired credit record. So it's, it's always chasing half of of uh, uh, 24. Um, uh, I'll say 24 million credit active consumers, and uh, about. Uh, 40 percent of that uh, 35 to 40 percent of that they have impaired credit record so what does that mean it means in future you won't be able to buy on credit because of because of your your status of your profile
0: uh mr malika in closing uh what would you say is the future for the national credit credit regulator is there anything that we should look forward to uh look um
1: all, all what I need to, well, all what I can emphasize to to our consumers out there. I think, I think some of the typical issues are, 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 are is this trending fraud online, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, where we should refrain from giving our IDs, to, ID numbers to to strangers or maybe online, and if you were to make an application for any credit, you know, make sure that you do your homework. Go, make sure that the, the credit provider do, you. You you, you you borrowing from, it's registered and they are credible. And by all means, uh, if you're not too sure, please contact us. And if you want to learn more about the National Credit Act, please go to our website. If if you feel you have been taken uh, for a ride by a credit provider in terms of your interest, in terms of what should have been done, that you believe in, or maybe you've been paying your loan forever, please contact us especially in cases where you don't even have a credit agreement and where they are refusing to give you a, 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 a account statement. Contact us so that we can be able to actually investigate for you. Look, we are here to assist you, like I've indicated. Mm. We regulate the credit industry. That includes credit providers and the retailers. Anyone and anybody that actually grant credit, they are responsible in terms of making sure that they are compliant to the Act. And we are here to actually protect uh, consumers. But we also encourage uh, responsible borrowing. Uh, it shouldn't be a matter of... Knowing very well that you you, you have the rights that you can exercise, and and in, engage in in reckless borrowing, uh, 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 because NCR or a regulator body will be there to fight the battle for you. Let's try to take responsibility in anything that we do, and try to uh, to save by all means.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Tatana Maurice Manuleke, who is the supervisor of the debt counselling department of the National Credit Regulator. Have a great evening.
1: Okay, you too, see. sir. See. Thank you, Law Focus. Point, point of information.
0: Welcome back to Law Focus. My name is Basil Sharenda and you will be going live with me now. We're going to be discussing credit regulation in the country, uh, with a particular focus on uh, the National Credit Act. Uh, right on the line, we're going to be talking to the South African Institute on Savings, and we will be speaking to uh, Mr. Gerald um, Mandiambera. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, sir. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon and good afternoon to all your listeners. Ah, thank you. Thank you for, for coming through. Um you, you find us right at the heart of July and we are moving into uh, quite an interesting topic uh, for our listeners and we would like to understand quite further what the National Credit uh, Regulation is about as a start. Well,
3: well, the National Credit Regulation is simply to try and govern how the, the access to money for the majority, as you are aware, um the current household debt to income ratio in South Africa is well over seventy percent. And this has largely been driven by the fact that credit was not really monitored and people were given access sometimes when they couldn't afford to get access to it. So what um the regulations will be doing is simply looking at how credit is given and making sure that affordability is checked, as well as also ensuring that um, the, the lenders are, are, are not taking advantage of citizens.
0: Yeah. And so what does the Savings Institute do actually? In the South African
3: Savings Institute is a non-profit entity which was created um, in 2001. And our primary aim is to promote savings and investment. We act as an advocate for consumers and we liaise with government as well as the private sector around savings and investment. And also we do some research as well as consumer education. July Savings Month being our main, um, comp- well, one of our campaigns, which we started 10 years ago. And this year we're in partnership with ABSA Bank. And what we're simply doing is promoting the message of savings and investment. But what we want all your listeners to realize is that savings should be something that's happening every month, and not just in July. We're not a government body, or no, are we a statutory body? We are a non non profit voluntary organisation, which simply operates to promote savings and investment and consumer education.
0: Okay, and so, like in, in would you delineate for us um, who is far capable of saving in a spectrum uh, in terms of how much they earn? Well,
3: most financial planning professionals. Um, recommend that you should be saving between 20 and 25 percent of all the income that you get. The simple mm. reason being that you know you don't know what's going to happen in the future, and also you need to grow and have a saving pool for when you actually when you eventually retire. So ultimately, um, that's how much financial planners recommend. This 20 25 percent can be split between your retirement fund, your savings account. Sometimes even your bond or your house can form part of your savings portfolio. But we do need to have a culture of savings where we realize that life happens. And when life happens, you need to have something to go into. The unfortunate thing about most South Africans is that even if someone is earning as much as 50,000 rand a month, most people earning that amount, if you ask them to give you 5,000 rand, they can't even absorb that financial shock. And it's even more worrying that people who've worked 10, 20 years cannot come up with an amount of even 10,000 or 20,000 rand in savings at any given point.
0: Yeah, that, that's very shocking. It's very shocking. So your campaigns, how far do your campaigns go? Do they go as low as uh, the minimum wage um, category?
3: Well, saving is for everyone. There, there's no, There's no amount you need to have to save. Saving is relative to how much you're earning. So basically, if you earn more... You just said the percentage, so that's why we'd rather work in percentages because um, ten or twenty percent of any amount remains ten or twenty percent, regardless mm-hmm. of how much you earn. It's about willpower and the desire and the vision to see that you will need these savings in the future.
0: You know, Mr. Gerald, I'm, I'm actually inspired by your words. I'm just considering the difficulty that which most Africans live in, especially those in the minimum wage. And I'm thinking about how difficult it could be for them to uh, express themselves in the same tenor in which you've expressed this view. Um, well, uh, yeah. I think, look, the, the bottom line is, even if you're saving a little as 10 rand, it's still a saving. I think
3: most people seem to think that um, there's this thing that you earn too little to save. The bottom line is, if you were to lose your income, you'd be far worse off. Generally speaking, anyone who earns any sort of income has the capacity to save. And the main problem we have is that people don't save before they spend. They tend to spend and then see what they can save afterwards. And it's a a mindset and an attitude which you need to have. If you can save 10 grand from 100 grand, you'll be able to save 100 from 1,000. You'll be able to save 1,000 from 10,000. And you can even save 10,000 from 100,000. It's all relative to how much you're saving. Um, And people seem to think that the more they earn, they'll be able to save. In, in fact, the people who earn more are actually more in debt than those who earn less.
0: Who earn less. And, and wh- what would you say can develop that kind of discipline? Because I think the, fun, the fundamental uh, string that I pick up from this conversation is that you either have the discipline or you don't. And if you do, then you can save whatever and you can find yourself at a better place. Um, so what, what can develop that kind of discipline?
3: I think the main thing, if you want to start saving, is you set yourself up on goals. Um, part of the biggest frustration when you're saving is not knowing when you've achieved or not achieved a goal. So before you start saving, give yourself a goal. I want to save a thousand, two thousand before this this period is over. And then once you've achieved that goal, then you can understand that you actually can save. Most people who are engaged in open-ended saving, we ask, what are you saving for? For when? And they can't answer those questions. That's not really saving. So all that's going to be frustrate you. Because you
0: never seem to reach where you're supposed to go. Mm. Well I, I, I see let me break it into context and perhaps personalize the conversation. I see it with myself. Um, when when I'm saving haphazardly generally, which I try to do at times, I end up end up spending that money. But when I know that I want something that costs maybe 30k, and I think that uh, in, I can I can raise the 30k in six months, for example if i put in uh, 6k per month now 6000 per month but now what happens is that there are those months where something that you don't expect just pops up from no from nowhere and now you have to put that money into something else now how do you find the balance when when those kind of situations happen
3: i think what everyone must initially have is what they call an emergency fund okay. and an emergency fund is an amount of money which you have put aside for any emergencies or unexpected saving. This is separate to your goal-oriented saving, where, for for example, you may be saving towards a specific goal. So that's what's important. Um, Saving should not be one pool of money which is used at all times. No, have specific saving goals. One of them should be an emergency fund. It should probably be a separate account where you keep money for those particular rainy days or emergencies. Otherwise, you do end up doing what you're saying is when you're saving for a specific goal, you end up using that money for an unexpected emergency
0: mr i don't, i don't know i don 't know how practical all of this is it 's very
3: practical. all you need is to get started basically, if a child can have five piggy banks and know what's in each piggy bank and what's its purpose, an adult should be. The problem we have is that most of us Saving is not natural because we were not taught it. And yeah. you have to teach yourself as an adult. But the, bottom, but the reality is if you are not saving, you are far worse off. And there are many examples of people who have shown that they can save. For example, domestic workers typically have stock fails and other ways of saving. which Th- Thank you which for bringing that example.
0: Can, can I please get, jump in? Thank you for bringing that example. Because I was about to uh, tell you that we are an institutionalized society. Right, we, we have been brought into institution after institution ever since we were born. It's either it's crash, it's either it's church, it's either it's school, it's either it's work. There's always been an, an institution that assists us to achieve the goals that we want to achieve. And Stockfell is one of those institutions. I, I think that the, the argument that most people have in these kind of situations is saying that if I can find an insurance fund where I can put my money and just forget about it, then that's much better, unlike when I have to personally save for all of these things.
3: Well, I think, yes. Bottom line is saving depends on three things. Mm. Sacrifice, commitment, and discipline. And if you can't do all three, you won't be able to save. Sacrifice comes from being able to afford whatever amount you're saving. So there's no point in saying, I'm going to save 6,000 Ren a month, when in reality, you know you can't. Mm. Start low So make the sacrifice possible. The next thing is commitment. Commitment is about having someone to check your saving goals. So this might be other stock sell members, or it might even be a financial planning professional, or indeed a friend who you check on who you're saving with. Mm-hmm. And the last one is discipline. Discipline, you can easily overcome it by automation. Simply set up a stock order or debit order. That money will be gone before you think about it, and you'll be able to save. So, for example, this month this month in savings month, our 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 particular theme is to help em- get employers to help employees to save. And how do employers help employees to save? By encouraging you to save more towards your retirement, or mm-hmm. even helping you by setting up a 13th check, where automatically at the end of the year you receive a lump sum to fund the end of the year spending. So these things can be done. I think. The thing about it is getting started. And the message is also that saving is not easy. It's a conscious decision because you're basically saying, I am putting money aside, which I could consume today. That is a decision you have to make, but you only can make it when you see what the future holds. The funny thing is people who've lost it all or have been in a situation where they lost their job, they have no problem saving. And all we are saying is you don't need to go through the fire to know that it is hot.
0: I understand understand that proposition. And in terms of investment opportunities, what kind of brackets can people access?
3: I think a lot of people ask about uh, investment and savings opportunities. Everyone, for example, should have a tax-free savings account. If you don't have a tax-free savings account, you haven't even started saving because that's an amount you can save annually of 33,000 rand tax-free and it will grow and compound itself up to a maximum of 500,000 contributors in your lifetime. And before people start saying we want special funds, we want extra things, let's start by going back to basics. Mm -hmm. Have a tax-free savings account. When you utilize the full amount, which is permissible tax-free, then you can start saying, okay, let's move on to the next level. I think a lot of us are trying to do the trick before we've passed
2: grade one.
0: The most interesting uh, analogy that you've made there. That was Mr. Gerald Manduambira from the South African Savings Institute. Thank you, Mr. Gerald. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. Listening to Law Focus, connect with ThalFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law no Focus. The families of, of the hundred and thirty-four life as a victims actually have received compensation from the Ghauteng provincial government. We had led that arbitral awards that which have been given by the former Deputy Chief Justice Dikango Musaneke have actually came to life and we are seeing movement in that regard. The interesting thing is that the Hautang premier David Makura has actually said that the office of the Premier has actually paid out 159 million to all of the hundred and thirty-four claimants. Law no Focus talking active citizenship. Law Focus focus. on 88.1, point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. You're still sitting with Basil, and we're still discussing that collection this evening once again. Uh, Here on the line we have Mr. Sias Kosana, who is a Masters of Arts candidate. Um, in drama therapy here at Vets University, and he's, he'll be looking at the psychology behind it, our understanding on money, finances, and debt And uh, not to add more to his introduction, he's going to introduce himself far better uh, with his perspective on the issue. Mr. Eskosana, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm great. Uh, I mean, you you find us uh, discussing quite a, a serious issue. I mean, uh, most people are find themselves find themselves in debt, uh, and others um, find themselves as exploited by, by, by capital and so forth. But rather the issue is how people handle their own money. And I think that that has been the issue in our country particularly. And I understand that I mean, why are many South Africans getting deeper into that in your perspective, Mr. Sia? Right. Um
2: I think first of all, Basil, um, coming from uh, as you said, a dramatic perspective for me and a psychological um, um, framework is that mean exactly the meaning of money, and that money, in essence, is a medium for human beings um, in order to get something. So it's an exchange, it's a medium that's used for for exchanging one thing for another. So a lot of us misuse money, and we've come to understand that money is supposed to give us security, freedom, and control, and that stands for that. Yeah. So if, if one is is, is insecure or lacks or or less something, they 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 intend to use money as a substitute for that, and that's the first initial problem that we have. So one then finds themselves buying things that sh- that shouldn't buy in order to satisfy a need that is actually psychological or emotional.
0: Mm. I understand that your 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 argument there is particularly that it's more in the psychological space, that rather right. the issue is how people relate with money, how they see themselves when they, with their money. So there are people who are insecure, and therefore they use the medium of money. Right. So you're saying that uh, when people are insecure, they actually look at money as a medium of expressing their insecurity. Um, that that's, Is that your point, if I understand quite well?
2: And, and, and adding to that, not only to... Uh, express their insecurities, but also to fulfill you know, and psychological needs that they might have. Yeah. So, fine. Someone might see a well-dressed individual, and they might, they might want to look like that person, and they might use misuse their money or their salary to in order um, to look like uh, Mister X. Yeah. So, my point is, rather than misusing the money, you need to look within and find out why. Are you comparing yourself with Mr. X? And for me, that is the basis of the misuse of money, that we don't know or we, we lack the knowledge of what it is for, and that it's supposed to serve us. And what I've realized is that a lot of people serve money. So for me, that is the basis of, of, of the misuse of money, that we don't know what, what it's for, and we... We don't understand it um, as a medium, and therefore we misuse it
0: to satisfy um, emotional and psychological needs. Hmm. I mean, I mean, let's take it further. Um, should it should it be that uh, people look at money to to understand or, or interpret themselves? Could it be that the same reverse psychology could assist them in saving money? Is that is that the point that you're making? in saving money. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So, for instance, um, as we grow up, especially as um, African children, we're not taught um, about money. Even at school, we're not taught about money. However, if um, such teachings would take place, we would be more equipped in our adulthood to deal with money. So basically, one would have this education and would would be made to to realize the relationship that they have with money. So in order, uh, going back to your point where uh, this is now countering what I was saying, that we use money, we can then be taught on how to use money properly. Mm. So that that, that um, that, that might mean um, us saving money, that might mean us investing in money. So absolutely, um, within um, the psychological terms we can be taught, to use money, um, in a proper manner.
0: And so any interventions that you think can be used to, to assist people with this? I mean, because I understand that, or somebody could argue out there that we are, we are instruments of institution. So therefore, uh, the only way we ever understand ourselves is if we are placed in an exercise that which assists us to, to get around these habits that we have. So in your view, what kind of interventions would you, um, would would you advise one can take to assist themselves in this regard?
2: Um, I think, as I said uh, earlier on, I, it has to start at the grass level, where even at school we taught about um, how tax works. Mm. Um, uh, where even at school we taught in terms of how to run businesses. Those things are important as algebra, I think. And I feel like our education system is lacking that. Mm. Lacking that um, education where we empower children Understanding the power of money, mm. so that for me would be a vital intervention at the grass level, rather than at university, where it could be too late.
0: Mm. I mean, yeah, it sounds it sounds it um, sounds it sounds viable. But now, what about someone who's p- perhaps understanding of all of what we just spoke about, but they are still in a space that which uh, limits them, um, like maybe being a student, that as you would know in an institution that which is totally unequal right mm-hmm. where the students are totally not on the same level they come from different backgrounds but particularly being coming from a fourth quantile into an institution and in that that is previously wired and and so that that facing that kind of financial oppression what would one do in that regard absolutely okay that's good. that's a good question so what you're
2: asking me is a, a more pragmatic uh, solution
0: mm. yes.
2: so well, I think uh, one first stance would try and locate sponsorship, sponsorship. Um, that would be meaning searching for sponsorship online, etc., Or even uh, an extreme case would then maybe apply for a student loan um, at a bank. I know for myself I've tried this at um, one of the banks uh, in a university at Viz where I've got a student loan. So those are one of the, you know, values that one can take to, to solve their problems. But then, but then, for me, that would be like a short term solution. But to have a meaningful solution that could change one's life, one would have to take a look at their relationship um, um, and, uh, of money and they refer and use money and why they use it the way they use money. And that, for me, would then... Require one
0: psychological and emotional attachment to money. Mm. But that's very interesting. Um, there's so much that one can unpack about that element of attitude and that element of psychology, because I'm looking at mm. at people who do not who who have never had money, um, right. and and they, they get introduced to money perhaps at whatever age or stage in their life. Mm. And now, how would you combat their relationship? With money, so are you
2: are
0: you asking me that, folks? Yeah, I'm 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 posing it as an open question. I mean, right. somebody who has never been exposed to money, perhaps has has always been exposed to a range of at, at the highest they ever went was like five thousand rents and all of a sudden in their in their working space or whatever, they get exposed to over fifty k, hundred k then now how do you combat that kind of a person's understanding of their relationship with money without them wasting it? I mean, how, how does that play out?
2: Yeah, that's a wonderful, because if you if you take a look at lottery winners, right? Yeah. So let's say before, I mean, we all know that there's a high percentage of losing them losing their money a couple of months after receiving it. And that says a lot, because if one was receiving 5,000 Rand for the longest time, and within that 5,000 Rand, one would spend 2,000 on clothes, 1,000, maybe another 1,000 on payment, and would be left with 1,000 rand of savings. So the same will happen in a larger scale if one would receive a million, five million 5 million rand, where one would use it um, maybe to buy a, a, car, a, 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 a car, a million rand car, a million rand house. You don't need a million rand car or a house that costs a million. So for me, just being aware of how you use money, even when you have a small salary, because the way you use it when you have a small salary even is, is how you will use it when you have a large amount of money.
0: Mm.
2: And then again, it goes back to what your relationship with money. So now I need to know that, and how do I properly properly use that amount, um, whereby most of it, I'm saving it or I'll be investing it. Because should, uh, maybe I, should I win the lotto, I uh, use the 5,000 Rand, over the same way um, I'll, I'll use the 5 million Rand. Mm. So, again, goes back to how we relate and what we were taught um, about money.
0: Mm. I mean, yeah, uh, Mr. Skosana, I'm actually quite thankful for your contribution. Anything that you think you want to add uh, uh, to what we've spoken about in closing?
2: Right. So, I would like to say, um, again, going back to the grassroots, um, is that Money is not a natural indicator. It was created by human beings first of all, And it's an exchange medium. You exchange money for something. So if one is trying to achieve security, freedom, control and their life, they should not use or misuse money as a vehicle to achieve those things. It starts within. And Damn. a healthy relationship with yourself
0: um, thank you very much, Mr. CS Kosana, for your contribution this evening. That was um, uh, um, that was quite enlightening. Have a great evening. Thank you so much for listening to Law Focus. Law Focus on Law eighty eight point one point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. You're still sitting with Basil Sharenda and we have been discussing debt collection and debt counselling. We've been looking at finances. Uh, it, it is imperative that we we have a clear understanding of how we should be dealt with by the law or by the company or corporate that which we owe. And we need to understand that primarily uh, money is is a vital element of our of our lives and hence uh, this show was was speaking to experts in the legal field but also looking at experts from uh, a psychological perspective and also to your bestest of interest somebody who can assist you to save now the first person that we spoke to or rather one of the people that we spoke to was mr monologue from the national credit regulator and he actually explained to us how the law actually deals with the issue at hand and how the corporate that you work for has to deal with you and we went further to speak to um uh, Herald, who is from the Savings Institute um, of South Africa and he's under- and he explained his understanding of the psychology of money and how we should understand saving. Um, lastly, we spoke to Mr. Kosana who is, um, who is in drama therapy and he's looking at the psychology uh, behind money and our understanding of how we tend to uh, use money to define and redefine ourselves. Now, with that perspective, one needs to understand that Primarily, the understanding is that when you owe someone, uh, first you must first uh, borrow money or take debt from whoever who is registered with the National Credit Regulator, as far as it's mandated by the National Credit Act. That is the first part of call. The second part of call is that in the event that you are no longer employed and perhaps maybe you owe a retail company that which you bought clothes from, or you bought a wall unit or whatever of that nature. And then that company has to first send you a couple of letters that which are stamped by the magistrate. And then you have to answer their calls. And that's when you have to let them know that I'm no longer employed. And that means that you are going to have to keep them in the loop in the event that you, you, you get re-employed. Now, the trick about this whole scenario is that um, people tend to want to be liars, but secondly, tend to... Uh, to be to defraud and that's why it's so important that people get affidavits to try and explain that oh I am no longer employed employed anymore and this is how I want to go about it but now further what is far more important is your well-being and the savings institute actually states that one people need to live within their means secondly people need to save Now, Mr. Herald there looks at 25%, says that you must save 25% of whatever that you are making. doesn't have to be a lot, as long as it's something. And Mr. Herald actually argues that uh, it is very important for people to understand that they don't have to live uh, above their means to try and prove a point. In actual fact, they should live within within their means uh, and be honest about how much you are making and how much you can afford to spend. And then we spoke to Mrs. Kosana, who actually says that, well, it's very imperative that one does not try to define themselves by looking at person X and says that even if I, it doesn't matter how much I earn, but I want to be like person X so that they can be able to validate themselves. Because by doing so, then you end up spending money that you don't have. And at the end of the day, you are left with nothing. And then you have a problem. But now we went further, further into it and we looked at how difficult it may be to implement that philosophy, one, in, 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 in an unequal institution that which brings you closer to people of different um, classes. Secondly, how to do that within the minimum wage gap, because as I mean, to start with, you you have nothing, and I think we also touched on that with Mr Maluleke when we spoke about how. Uh, When he said that go and borrow money for important things like your tuition and not to buy accessories. And I said, but the challenge is that people need these accessories. People need to watch TV. People need uh, all of these things. Or maybe even though they may be classified as wants or desires, but people still need to live with these things. And so now, how does one, how, how is one able to say, okay, I can forego this, but I can go for that? And now, what does that mean for people who live in the minimum wage space? Again, because then that means that they don't have uh, some of the leisure that which other people may have, and that is those who are comfortable and who are rich. And now, from that perspective, one gets to understand why there is a necessity for us to not only delineate where we are as people, but but what we expect to be to be achieving from the money that we have. But at the same time, is understanding that um, the, the reality of those who have nothing is far beyond just saving. Having money and blah blah blah, but it's purely survival. And I understand, and and it it is my understanding uh, to say that if one can survive to build a future, then they are fortunate to do so, and they should do so. But if one cannot, it is important not to live above your means, because the next thing that you do is drown yourself, and you don't have the best that you should be having in the first place. Uh, and the next thing that the people that you are pleasing are the very people that you go back and you seek help from. Uh, Law focused listener, uh, we have had a great uh, show for this evening, and from our producer Miss Bulaliti who made this entire show possible, uh, she we th- we say thank you. Uh, from our technical production, Mr Kutwana Gwinch Serame. Uh, from me, remember that if it's not if it's not legal, then it's unlawful. If it is, and if it's unlawful, then it's wrong. From me, Bezos Shirinda. it's law and it's serious. Have a great evening. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VALFAM 88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law
1: Focus Podcast.